Well, good evening, and uh, welcome once again to our study in the book of Jeremiah. And we'll be looking at chapter 34 uh, through chapter 45. <clears throat> so we'll do a quick recap. Uh, when we started this, we looked at the uh, 25, first 25 chapters of Jeremiah altogether. That's actually two different lessons. Uh, but that was twelve, the twelve sermons of Jeremiah, and then uh, from there, we looked at the conflicts of the prophet and talked about his enemies and some false prophets, uh, and then we looked at the consolations of the prophet and uh, the different uh, glad tidings that the Lord gave him, uh, even in the midst of such difficulty, and how uh, the Lord tried to give them consolation, and now we'll look at the circumstances of the prophet. And uh, uh, the things surrounding uh, Jeremiah right before uh, the siege in, Jeru in uh, Jerusalem and during the siege and then uh, after the fall and what, uh, what was going on with him then. So, uh, Let's start with our key verse. It may be that the house of Judah, this is Jeremiah 36.3, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Uh, that's the theme of the Bible. Uh, that's really what God desires uh, through and through. Uh, and it's no different even when God is pronouncing judgment. Um, he is looking for them to return or to come back to him uh, and that's what he's been looking for uh, from mankind uh, since the fall in the garden. Uh, this uh, time period that we're looking at uh, it happens approximately uh, 607 B.C. to 586 B.C. 586 is when uh, Judah fell. Uh, but uh, 607 B.C., so the, what we're looking into here actually is really close to the time in which Daniel was taken into captivity and so um, it's an interesting uh, thing for us to look at here, the, uh, Daniel being in uh, Babylon uh, while Jeremiah is going through some of these uh, different things. And we'll consider some more about Daniel in a little bit. Uh, let's uh, look at chapter 35. And uh, we'll look at verse 2 and verses 5 through 11. Chapter 35, verse 2, Jeremiah says, Go unto the house of the Rechabites, Rechabites, pardon me, and speak unto them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. And we'll go to verse 5. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites uh, pots of wine, full of wine and, and cups. And I said unto them, drink ye wine. But they said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, ye shall drink no wine neither ye nor your sons forever. Neither shall ye build house, nor sow seed, nor plant vineyard, nor any, nor have any. But all your days ye shall dwell in tents, that ye may live many days in the land where ye be strangers. Thus have we obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he hath charged us, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, nor our daughters." Uh, nor to build houses for us to dwell in, neither have we vineyard, nor field, nor seed. 
But we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab our father commanded us. But it came to pass when Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, Come and let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. So when we consider uh, the Rechabites, um, they are not uh, of the children uh, of Jacob. Uh, and uh, did a little research, uh, went into Adam Clark's commentary to kind of understand some of the background. Uh, and we find that uh, the Rechabites, uh, if, you go to, if we go to First Chronicles 2.55, uh, it talks about them being uh, that they are the Ken, uh, Kenites. Uh, this, these were people that came with them into the promised land or were there uh, for a portion of time. If we go to Numbers chapter 10, uh, we find that Moses' uh, father-in-law Jethro uh, was invited to come with them uh, of the Midianites. He was invited to come, and um, if we were to read uh, a portion of this, Numbers 10, 29 through 32, uh, we would find that uh, Jethro at first refused, but then um, it's kind of unclear, but Moses uh, compels him. He says, please, please come with us. You will benefit us, and we will benefit you. And then we find two references in Judges that refer to uh, Moses' father-in-law being a Ken, uh, Kenite. Judges one sixteen and Judges 4.11 um, talk about uh, him being a Kenite. Uh, yeah, Kenite. And so uh, here this lineage of these people goes way back to the point at which they entered uh, the Promised Land, uh, even going back to, to Moses there. Uh, but they had been holding on to what Jonadab, their father, had told them uh, to not drink any wine, to not build uh, cities or even uh, produce agriculture. Uh, they were meant to be itinerant and they were meant to live off the land and to, uh, to be able to go from here and there. Perhaps this is why Moses invited his father-in-law to come because uh, it says uh, there that uh, they were going into a place uh, in which they would be able to seek out and be able to help them find the things that they needed uh, for survival. Uh, so you can read more about uh, them there. Uh, but it's interesting how the Lord chose to to bring them in. He told them to to bring them in and and to to do some things here. And and it's interesting because we might look at this and say that maybe the Lord was tempting them with the wine. Uh, but I think it, it's really clear here that he wasn't tempting more than he was making an example for the children of Judah, that they could see what it means to hold true uh, to something that you have been taught uh, and, and make it the, the same as it was uh, way back when. Uh, we, we believe that it was over 200 years in, in this process that they were following this commandment. So uh, what, what a testimony that they were following uh, what they had been commanded to do uh, faithfully. Uh, in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 35, And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according unto all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab, shall not want a man to stand before me forever. God rewarded their faithfulness. They weren't even of the children of Israel. They were of a different tribe. Uh, but the Lord was faithful to them. 
and uh, because of their faithfulness unto what they had been taught. We read in Luke uh, 19, uh, verse 17, this is one of the parables that Jesus spoke, uh, and he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And of course, we know this parable. This is of the, uh, the man who went away and he came back to find out what his servants have been doing with his money. And the, the one responded, uh, Look, Lord, how I have increased this, how I have used this. And that example was given. You, you've been faithful in a little. Here, have much. Uh, you know, the Lord rewards faithfulness. Uh, and he'll uh, do that for us as well. Uh, Let's go to chapter 36, and we'll read verses 21 through 23. Jeremiah 36, verses 21 through 23. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood before the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Uh, Now, perhaps I should have given this preface before we read it, but uh, in this case, uh, we find that the Lord had commanded Jeremiah to write down all of the things that uh, had been told him uh, by the Lord. And uh, for Jeremiah's sake, uh, the, he had a scribe that was helping him with that, Barak. But, uh, but he was told to, to write down uh, all of these things and to uh, pronounce these words of the Lord onto a, a written page uh, for them to be able to uh, disseminate, for them to be able to understand, for them to be able to study. And we see the, the result of this. Uh, it says that the king wanted this scroll, wanted these this book, uh, and once it was read to him, he, he, he threw it into the fire. Uh, well, uh, the Lord didn't take kindly to that, uh, and uh, so he, he pronounced judgment, uh, even more so. Uh, but this, this brings an interesting uh, point uh, that many people through the ages have uh, done their best uh, to destroy the Word of God. And you know, it's just not possible. We can't do it. And the Lord was faithful in Jeremiah's case here to ask Jeremiah to write it all down again. And the Lord was faithful to help him repeat it. In fact, they even added a few things to it in regards to the history of, of those things there, what the Lord had commanded them. But, but here we have this, uh, this uh, king trying to get rid of the, the Word of God as if somehow throwing it into the fire would change it or make it null or void. You know, you and I have uh, contracts that we might sign and, and, you know, sometimes dramatically somebody might tear one of those up or something, I don't know. Uh, and then that makes that contract void. It's no longer, there's no longer that legal tender that, uh, that makes it uh, what it ought to be or makes it uh, uh, legal anymore. Uh, well, the Word of God is not like that. Uh, just because we tear it up or throw it away or disregard it uh, doesn't change the truth of it. Uh, And just because uh, you and I don't have the written word right in front of us uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. Well, this this king in Jehudai uh, threw it into uh, the fire. Uh, But again, there are so many people that have come uh, to try uh, and destroy uh, the word. 
In Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 35, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Uh, that's what uh, Jesus said. Uh, his word will not pass away. His word is, is for, forever. Uh, it is uh, everlasting. We read in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. Uh, he begins, and I'm not going to read the whole portion, but he begins by saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. But he ends in verse 11 in that, uh, and you can read the rest of it later, but uh, Isaiah 55:11, So shall my word be uh, that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereon I sent it, whereto I sent it. God's word will will accomplish what it intends to accomplish. And you and I really can't do anything about that. Well, for our own sake, you and I can ignore it or disregard it and and therefore let it have no effect on us individually. Uh, But in regards to the way the Lord uh, relates to humankind or relates to uh, anything, you and I cannot change that. God is God. Uh, He is eternal uh, and his word uh, remains. And there is blessing for us in the Word of God. That's really, I think, the beauty of what we're talking about here. You know, it, 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 it confuses me how sometimes people will decide that somehow that, that by burning it or by trying to change it or, or by doing any of those things that somehow they're improving anything. The blessing is for those that embrace the Word of God. In Psalm 34, 8 and 9, uh, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. You know, when we embrace the Word of God, when we embrace the things that God wants us to, uh, we have blessing at our fingertips. We have the, the authority of God's Word uh, to lead us through difficult circumstances. And more importantly, to to lead us on uh, into eternity. Uh, Why would we want to get rid uh, of the Word? Uh, We'll continue on in chapter 37. Uh, So here we're moving into the during. We've been talking about the just prior to. We're moving into the during the fall of Judah. Judah. And we'll read chapter 37, verses 1 through 3. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Kuniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseah, the priest to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Now, we've talked a little bit about this already. Uh, but the, the question goes out, why didn't the Lord hearken unto the prayer that went out? Uh, Zedekiah had commanded Jeremiah to, to pray, uh, but what does that really mean? I'm sure that Jeremiah was earnest in his prayer, Uh, We know that the Lord was pleased with Jeremiah. He was following the commandments of God. Why would God not listen to the prayer that Jeremiah prayed? And I think that's a bit of a a misunderstanding 
Of course the Lord listened to Jeremiah's prayer. Of course the Lord heard every word. After all, Jeremiah was bringing a petition before him. But God did not choose to remove the consequence because the commandment of the king and the actions of the people were not sincere to the prayer that Jeremiah was praying. Jeremiah, I'm sure, was sincere. But the people were not. It's interesting how how often people want everything for nothing. Uh, have you ever heard of, you know, just do this and you'll get this thing free? Well, it's never really free, is it? Uh, my wife and I had to sit through a really long, boring um, presentation on buying a timeshare uh, in the hopes that we might get, you know, a free whatever. Well, it wasn't free. Uh, we paid for it. Uh, just by sitting there. But people seem to want everything for free. Uh, a lot of times people come to the Lord and they uh, they ask, you know, a petition or they think, you know, why are things happening to me? But but yet they aren't living the way that God has asked them to live. You know, it's a... You know, if you if you beat your head against a brick wall and then all of a sudden you say, why do I have a headache? I mean... Really, that's that's the, the symbol that we get here. Uh, the Lord was telling them one way to live. They weren't living that way, and the consequences of that were coming down upon them. But yet they, they asked to be relieved of these consequences. Well, consequences is just what life is. Uh, there are good consequences, and there are bad consequences uh, for good and bad actions. It's just the way of things. Uh, so people often want... Uh, everything, but want to give uh, nothing. And I want to talk here about being perfect. Now, this is a word that's actually used quite a bit in the Bible. And so I'm going to spend a little time looking into what it means to be perfect. In Genesis 17.1, uh, the Lord told Abram, he said, walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, uh, that's a tall order. Uh, but that's what God commanded him. Uh, he, he told him to, uh, to follow. And when Abram was 90 years old, this is Genesis 17, 1, 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. In Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, I'm just going to read the 13th verse, but it all fits in there together. This is Moses telling the children of Israel as they went into the promised land, or when we, they were to go into the promised land. Uh, these are the words of the Lord. He said, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. He, he commanded them to be perfect before God. Uh, David's advice to his son in First Chronicles 28.9. I'm going to read that whole portion. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. He said to serve him with a perfect heart. Uh, you know, David knew a little bit about that. Uh, we read that uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, you know, David's uh, story is beautiful in many ways. We read that he was a man after God's own heart, but we also read that David sinned against his God, reaped uh, the consequences of that sin. But the, the beauty of that is that he repented 
of the sin. And God restored him. Uh, what, what a beautiful thing for him to pass on to his son. He said, walk before the Lord with a perfect heart, he said. Uh, we read in Second uh, Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's just the first part of the verse. That's actually a bright spot in the, in the midst of some judgment. So. But, but he looks for people who have a perfect heart. Jehoshaphat, uh, he admonished the Levites. He charged them uh, to, uh, let's see, we'll read it, Second Chronicles 19.9, and he charged them saying, Thus shall ye do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a perfect heart. Uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 101, verses 1 and 2, uh, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Now, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? We, we need to understand what this word perfect means. And it really needs to, to be explained. Uh, John seventeen twenty three. these are the words of Jesus. I in them and thou in me, uh, sorry, we're right in the middle of it, uh, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Jesus himself was looking for perfection in the Christians that would come. And James 1.4, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now let's, let's focus on just that, that portion there. Perfect and entire. That gives us a bit more of what we're talking about here. Uh, we have morphed that word perfect. And now we think of perfect as the pinnacle or the absolute best. And that's not what the word perfect means in the word of God. When we look at the, the root words that are used and that are translated into perfect, even when we look at the word perfect from a Latin perspective, we see that what it means is complete. It means to be complete, to be whole, to have Everything lined like it should be lined. Now, does that mean if we're perfect that we're, or if we're perfect in that way that we're not going to burn the cake? I've heard this used before. We still live in a, a mortal and a transitory world. We still get fatigued. We still fall prey and victim to uh, the, this mortal life. That's not the perfection that we're talking about. And I'll give you an example. Perfect is not the pinnacle. Perfect is the completion. And here's an example of this. The race has been used many times to, in the Bible to describe us running as Christians. And it tells us to strive that we may obtain the crown. So we, we should strive to enter in. But it's interesting. I, I happen to see or hear about this, this triathlon called the Ironman. And perhaps you're familiar with it. Um, this uh, triathlon is a grueling ordeal, and they actually have time limits. If you don't complete portions of it within a time limit, they actually disqualify you to prevent you essentially from, well, working yourself to death. Uh, but the, it starts with a 2.4-mile swim, uh, then moves on into the second part of the triathlon and goes to a 112-mile bike ride, and then you finish it 
with a marathon. So then you run 26.22 miles in order to complete the Ironman. Now, I happened to, to watch some highlights of an Ironman one time, and, and it's really interesting. There are winners. There's uh, typically uh, a, a women's division and a men's division, and there are people that are, are given a crown or some kind of prize for winning the Ironman. But what is really interesting about watching the Ironman is that these people are not competitors with each other. They recognize that they are really competing against themselves. That ultimately it comes down to, can I endure? Can I make the finish? And that means that all they're doing to win is to complete the course. You see, they don't have to have the best time. They don't have to be in the perfect physical condition in the way that we would use the word perfect. They just need to complete the course. What God is asking of us when he says, walk before me and be thou perfect, he's asking us to be complete, wholly satisfied in him and his word. He is not looking for temporal perfection. Uh, we run the race. I've seen a number of people that, that walk marathons. Uh, hey, I couldn't even do that, so right on. Uh, but you, you see that they, they win by just making it uh, to the finish line. We are in a race. We want to complete it. No one will know you started if you don't make it past the finish line. And so when God talks about perfection, he's asking us to be complete, whole in him. That's the perfection. So when you say that somehow I can't be perfect, well, then you're actually contradictory to the word of God. The word of God says that you can be perfect. That the way to be perfect is to be perfect in Jesus. The way to be perfect is to be perfect in God and in your will and desire to serve Him. Does that mean you won't get fatigued? Does that mean that there won't be days when you, you feel tired and you just don't know if you can't go on? Well, there will be days like that. And we're going to read about that in just a minute. But God calls us to Christian godly perfection. And it is possible through the blood of Christ, through the authority of God's Word, through the power of God working in us, we can be complete. Be perfect. Be complete. Be sincere with the Lord. Amen. We'll go on now and we'll talk about a man named Ebed-Melech. Uh, we'll read in Jeremiah 38, verses 7 through 13. Jeremiah 38, verse 7. Now when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, uh, the Ethiopian, saying, take, take, them, take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. So Ebed-Melech uh, took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. 
And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes, under the cords, and Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Jeremiah had been thrown in what is probably an old cistern, uh, and it didn't have any water in it, but it was filled with a mire. And so we don't know how much he sank into that mire, uh, but if you've ever tried to pull somebody out of mud, um, I imagine what Ebed Melech was saying with those things under his arms was, this might hurt. <laughs> uh, here's some padding. Uh, but they, uh, he, he really, he risked his own life. Uh, Jeremiah's life was in danger here. The, one of the reasons they cast him in there is because they wanted to kill him. And they, they declared so. He should die. And so they threw him into this, uh, this old cistern uh, where he wasn't going to receive any food, uh, where he was like to die. And Ebed-Melech, at the risk of his own life in this troubled time, decided that that wasn't right. And so he asked the king for permission to rescue Jeremiah. And we see uh, that the Lord uh, allowed him to do all of that. Uh, what a, a wonderful example of somebody uh, going the extra mile to help someone out. Uh, but the, the question then is asked, uh, are, are, will we have to suffer at times? You know, we talked about being perfect. Uh, well, there's suffering and perfection. Uh, actually, you can see that on somebody who's striving for the perfection uh, of the world, the, the perfection of having every body part work in just the right way, the, the perfection of, of winning or being the top in a, in a contest. Uh, they put themselves through all sorts of hardship just to make that, that goal. Uh, well, we, uh, we will suffer as well. And the reality of that is that, uh, that that's just life. Uh, and I, I submit to you that uh, by the things that we've been reading and by uh, the Word of God, by the life experiences, we know that suffering comes to people, regardless if you're a Christian or not. Uh, suffering is a, is a part of life. Uh, but praise be to God, we can have God to lean on in that time of suffering, that we can hold on to what He has given us. <coughs> we know there will be times that we will suffer for the cause of Christ. Jesus actually warned us ahead of time that we would have tribulation. We would have difficulty because of following him. But we must stand. We read in Romans 8, verses 17 and 18, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, so this is the, the hope that we have when we get saved, that we are a child of God, Continuing on here, if so be that we suffer with him, it says, that we may be also glorified together. Verse 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. They're not worthy to be compared. You know, sometimes you make comparisons about things that you know are just vastly off. You, you compare, you know, something that's incredible to something that is, is faulty. And we make those comparisons. This says it's not even worthy to be compared. And Philippians 3, 9 through 11. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Amen. That sounds good, doesn't it? Let's keep going. Being made conformable unto his death. 
if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I missed, I missed a portion there. Let's go back. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Being, it says the fellowship of his sufferings. And we know that Jesus suffered as well. The Son of God suffered. Hebrews 2.10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And there we tie them together, don't we? Perfection comes through suffering for the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I go out and you know, hit ourselves with sticks or we don't look to be uh, you know, somehow hurt or, or God doesn't want that. God is a proponent of stewardship. He's given us a body. He's given us things and He expects us to use them wisely. He's not after us going out and looking for some kind of affliction. Uh, but the Lord does uh, give us a commandment that when affliction does come, that we can hold on to His hand, that we can make it through all of that. You know, I think about the time we're living in now. Uh, there are those that are suffering. Uh, psychological, emotional. This is a difficult time. Many people are scared. Uh, many people don't know what to do or, or even how to act sometimes. We've had many conversations about this. Uh, well, this, this too shall pass. Uh, this, is, this is a temporary thing. Uh, you know, even if it lasts a year, which I'm not saying it will, even if it lasts a year, it's still a temporary thing. This old life is, is going to end one day and, and we have the opportunity before it ends to make our eternal, uh, our home in eternity, uh, sure. We can be saved. We can be sanctified. You know, that's a part of that being complete or perfect is to consecrate our lives unto God that we might be a sanctified vessel for Him, that we might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be a vessel able to be uh, used of Him for His glory, for His honor, and for the spreading uh, of His Word and the acknowledgement of His kingdom. Uh, after we have suffered, we need to stand. In Ephesians 6, 10-13, uh, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I like that. We like to be strong. Uh, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And, and that those last two words are really important there. It's not just telling us that we can stand. It is giving us commandment to stand. That we put on that armor of God. We, we seek to be whole through God and His power. And we can stand the tests that come. Not by our own strength, but by the armor, by the power, by the blood, by the authority of, of the Lord. We can stand. Amen. As we uh, continue on, uh, just to kind of finish up uh, this uh, about Ebed-Melech, uh, we read in chapter 39, verses 16 through 18, which we won't read here, uh, but you can read that on your own. And we read there that the Lord preserved him. And after Jeremiah was set free, uh, completely free, after the siege was done, we see that uh, he actually went directly to 
uh, Ebed-Melech, who, who God had preserved through the siege and, uh, and, and gave him comfort that the Lord uh, would be with him. We go on now and we'll just read question number five from the lesson. Uh, God had not forgotten his promise uh, to the prophet Jeremiah, uh, and Jeremiah was freed from his bonds when the Babylonians overthrew Jerusalem. Uh, we'll read the end here. It says, and why do you think he made the choice to stay? So let's uh, look at uh, chapter 40, verses 2 through 6. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 2 through 6. Uh, and the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, The Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. Even, <laughs> even the Babylonians and the Chaldeans uh, were noticing the, the hand of the Lord here. Uh, now the Lord hath brought it and done according as he hath said, because ye have sinned against the Lord and have not obeyed his voice. Therefore this thing has come upon you. Uh, so here's a Chaldean telling Jeremiah this. And of course Jeremiah already knows this. And now behold, I loose thee this day from the chains which were upon thine hand. If it seem good unto thee to come with me into Babylon, come, and I will look well unto thee. But if it seem ill unto thee to come with me into Babylon, forbear. Behold, all the land is before thee, whither it seemeth good and convenient for thee to, do, to go, uh, thither go. Now while he was, yet, was not yet gone back, he said, go back also to Gedaliah. Now, Gedaliah was the governor of the region after everything had taken place. So uh, they had sieged it. Um, they had taken it. Uh, Judah was, for all intents and purposes, no longer a country. Uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had left uh, a governor there for the remnant that had been left behind. The, basically, the poor, the stragglers, those that he didn't want to bring back to Babylon and really had no choice. He just left them there. But he gave them a governor, Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon hath made governor over the cities of Judah and dwell with him among the people. Or... Go whither, wheresoever it seemeth convenient unto thee to go. So the captain of the guard made him uh, victuals and a reward and let him go. Then went Jeremiah unto Gedaliah the son of Ahikam to Mizpah and dwelt with him among the people that were left in the land. Now he couldn't have gone to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been sacked. It had been ravaged. Um, it was desolate. In fact, we, we read uh, of the desolation, if you read through Nehemiah, uh, and a little bit of Ezra, you, you read um, how uh, horrible uh, they had sacked it. The walls had been breached. There was, there was just not a lot there. So he ended up going to Mizpah, and he went to be with Gedaliah. Now, the question in, the, in, a, in our lesson is, why do you suppose Jeremiah made that choice? He had been open to anything, anything that he wanted to do. He could have gone anywhere he wanted to go. He was essentially a free man. Um, you know, there's some speculation that perhaps uh, Nebuchadnezzar had known of Jeremiah's prophecies. Uh, perhaps he was thankful for having an ally. Uh, you know, the, the truth of it is, is that Jeremiah really wasn't an ally of Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah was an ally of the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to let you fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar as the, as the, the land goes. So why did Jeremiah choose to stay? Well, we, we really don't know that. It doesn't really explicitly say. But Jeremiah did stay with the remnant that was there. And something that occurred to me is that, first of all, uh, Jeremiah was uh, beloved of the Lord and Jeremiah loved the Lord. He would have contacted the Lord and said, Lord, what should I do? Uh, if we go all the way back to Jeremiah 1, uh, we read uh, in verse 5, Jeremiah 1, 5, 
Before I formed thee, this is the Lord talking to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, and we've already covered this, but then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto, unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You see, Jeremiah had been faithful, and so we know that Jeremiah would have remained faithful. Uh, verse 8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. So he had delivered him. You know, it seems like he, he could have easily made a case of, of going back to Babylon, to, to being there. I mean, after all, uh, the Lord had prophesied that those that went into captivity in Babylon would, would have plenty. There, there wouldn't be an issue with them being able to survive. Uh, they wouldn't be uh, cast down. They, they would just be citizens of that new country. And so it seems reasonable that Jeremiah could have just made that choice, that, that I'll go, I'll be there. After all, God had, had prophesied that. Uh, but something uh, struck me, and we'll read in Romans, Romans 11, verses 26 through 29. It says, And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Verse 27, For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. You know, this relates directly to what's going on here. He's, he's talking about all the past and, and what has gone on, but he goes on, verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God had called Jeremiah. There was a, there was a call on his life, and, and that call didn't end just because circumstances had changed. Perhaps Jeremiah stayed because he still felt that call. You know, that's a, that's the place you want to be. Uh, we can, we'll continue to read and we'll, we'll talk about the different things that Jeremiah went through. But, but we read here how he, I mean, he, he went through some more hard places. And perhaps he could have avoided that by going to Babylon. But there was a call on his life. You know, that really is the best place for you to be, for you and me both to be. Whatever God has called us to, there is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater place than what God has called, where God has called you and I to be. Amen. Well, we continue on, and we'll just kind of read through this as, uh, a little quickly. I'm running out of time. Um, uh, but we continue on, and we see that uh, while they were there, uh, there was a man named Ishmael that came. Uh, he was of the seed royal, so he would have been... Um, of Jewish uh, royalty. Uh, perhaps he had run and, and escaped to some degree. Uh, well, he came after the governor Gedaliah and he killed Gedaliah and it says all the Jews that were with him. Uh, and he, he slew many. Uh, he took some captive and there was great turmoil in the remnant there. Well, after he was dealt with, uh, we read in chapter 42, Verses 1 through 3, Then all the captains of the forces and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hushiah, and all the people from the least even unto the greatest came near and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let, we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us. 
that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Uh, you know, they were still suffering from the same affliction they had been. Uh, they were not sincere. And, and so here, perhaps they were afraid. They were afraid of repercussions. I mean, after all, uh, Nebuchadnezzar could have said, well, I'm just done, and they just wiped them all out. Perhaps they were afraid any of that. Uh, Jeremiah beseeched the Lord and asked the Lord, what should we do according to their, uh, requ- uh, their request here? Uh, but they, they go on, and the Lord told them, he says, don't go to Egypt. It will be worse for you. I know that you think it's the best thing for you to do, but don't go to Egypt, uh, for there will be judgment in Egypt. But that's exactly what they did. Uh, they went to Egypt, they took Jeremiah with them, uh, and, and they continued on. We still have so much to get through. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Bear with me here. So we're going to go into chapter 44. Uh, and at this point, uh, Jeremiah, the Lord is pleading with them again, don't do this. Uh, and in uh, 44, we read chapter 44, verses 15 through 18. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods. And see, here, here it is again. They wanted the Lord God's power and protection, but they were not willing to serve him. They were serving other gods. And all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros, uh, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. You can't get any clearer than that, can you? We're just not going to listen to the Lord. That's exactly what they said to him. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done. We and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we, then had we plenty of vittles and were well and saw no evil. Now that's not true. That was what they perceived, but that is not true. You see, the devil's a liar. And he comes along with all sorts of fancy talk, all sorts of things to try and get us confused. But that just is not true. You and I have been reading through Jeremiah. We know that isn't true. Because God had pronounced judgment on that city for this exact reason, that they were serving other gods. Verse 18, But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. Because we haven't been serving the Queen of Heaven, we've had all this calamity befall us. And that isn't true. But you know, the devil does that. Uh, the enemy comes and he, he, he tells us lies. He's the father of lies. You and I can read this and know that that isn't true. But that's exactly what they thought. Oh, don't, don't believe the enemy. They still clung to that. Uh, we read, uh, or actually, uh, we'll, read, we'll think about a, few, a couple things to close here. Uh, just reading the question uh, that is number eight. It says, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet because of his sorrow over the people's rejection of God and the punishment that was coming upon the land. In the course of his prophetic ministry, he was beaten, ridiculed, starved, imprisoned, and forced to leave his homeland. Yet he was faithful to proclaim the word of the Lord, the people refused to listen or heed, yet Jeremiah kept on with his mission. What lesson can we learn from his life? Uh, sometimes it feels like the truth falls on deaf ears. I think a lot of times that, that feels that way. Uh, you know, but the truth is still the truth. You know, whether you, you hear it or not, whether you apply it or not, the truth is still the truth. 
You can deny that gravity exists. You can deny that all the day long, but it doesn't change the fact that gravity is holding you to this great big mud, mud ball. It's just a way of it. And God's Word is even more true and faithful than that. It is more true and faithful than day and night we've already read. He, he, he does what He's going to do. It's up to us to follow. But I wanted to give you some food for thought on this. I mentioned earlier that Daniel went into captivity about the time that we started talking about these portions here. Now, we know Daniel to be to have an excellent spirit. He and his friends, an excellent spirit, it says. Now, where did that excellent spirit come from? Well, it came from the Lord, but what inspired them? After all, all of Judah had turned. What made it that Daniel and his friends wanted to serve the Lord? What did they see? What did they do? Well, we don't read it directly, but I think that we can uh, suppose that Jeremiah had some influence on those people. That it's quite possible, and I think quite likely, that Daniel's faithfulness may have been inspired and certainly encouraged by Jeremiah's. Amen. You know, sometimes we don't know why we go through things. But if we can be a witness to the power of God to work and to, uh, to inspire someone else to follow Him, well, amen. What an opportunity that you and I have to, uh, to follow after Him uh, implicitly and just uh, with faith, believing. Be perfect before the Lord. Well, you don't have to strive for earthly perfection. But be perfect, meaning being completely open and sincere with the Lord. Open and sincere to follow His Word. God will be faithful to you. God bless you as you study His Word and you seek uh, to follow Him. God will be with you. Amen.